Great to be with you. I uh, want to uh, start with a question for you. Uh, anyone here like to amaze Jesus? And you like to amaze Jesus? <laughs> yeah, some of you, yeah, yeah, mildly. Uh, okay, uh, how about this one? What do you think it would take to amaze Jesus? I mean, really amaze him. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you'll see Jesus actually experienced uh, a wide range of different emotions. Uh, Sudden sympathy uh, for a man covered with leprosy, uh, excitement over his disciples' rare successes, anger towards cold-hearted legalists and law-keepers, joy in the presence of small children, disappointment when he went to Jerusalem and saw the lack of faith there, grief over the death of uh, a dear, dear friend friend. In fact, three occasions where we're told Jesus uh, actually cried in front of his disciples. And in the midst of all of this, there are two recorded occasions in the Gospels where it tells us that Jesus was amazed. One of them is in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus returns to his hometown, Nazareth. And uh, the people there had heard uh, reports of some of the miracles that Jesus had performed, uh, that even listened to him preaching, but they were pretty cynical. Uh, they kind of said to one another, well, come on, we, we, we know this guy. I mean, isn't he a carpenter? Uh, wasn't he Mary and Joseph's son? His brothers and sisters, they, they lived down the street from us. I mean, what is all this Messiah talk? It says they were offended by Jesus and rejected him. And Mark tells us that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. The only other occasion where we're told that Jesus was amazed is in the stories that I want us to camp out in today. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you've got a Bible or a mobile phone or whatever, uh, turn to it now. Oh, turn to me, the words will appear on the screen behind me. It's a story of a Roman officer who amazes Jesus in a very positive way. If you want to amaze Jesus, there are some wonderful lessons for us here in this passage. Let's dive straight in, see what it was about this guy that was so very amazing. Luke 7, we'll start reading in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, uh, he's just given the famous Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain. Uh, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people. He even built a synagogue for us. And so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. It's like this guy saying, Jesus, if if I am who I am and people do what I order them to do, well, you being who you are, 
you'll have no problem just speaking the word, just making the command. Look what it says in verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was, as a word, amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. So back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was amazed by the lack of faith of his people. And here in Luke, we're, we're told he's amazed by the strength of this Roman officer's faith. Verse 10, and when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Now, stories like this one actually take place over and over and over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a chapter where Jesus isn't either addressing strong faith or a lack of faith. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to quickly fly through the book of Luke. Uh, Rest assured, we will slowly return over the next months, if not years, and methodically work back through these passages, but I'm going to show I can do quick as well. So we're going to do a kind of whistle-stop tour of the whole of Luke, just to illustrate the point. In Luke chapter 5, a couple of pages back from Luke 7, some men have a friend that is paralyzed. And if you remember the story, uh, they're desperate to get him to Jesus, but they can't get him to Jesus because there are so many people crowding around him. And so that they, they lug this guy on top of the roof, they rip up the roof, tie ropes to the guy's bed, and slowly and hopefully carefully lower him down into the middle of the room right in front of Jesus. Look at Jesus' response to this in verse 20. Seeing their, what's the word? faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees their faith and then responds with this remarkable miracle. The man stands up, picks up his mat and just walks out of the room. Later on in Luke 7, Jesus is having dinner with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, if you're not aware of the fact, were, were pretty strict law keepers. Now, they looked down on pretty much everyone else who didn't live by their code, by their rules and their regulations. They brand such people as sinners and refuse to mix with them. But despite all of this, there's a woman with a pretty checkered background who plucks up the courage and makes her way into the Pharisee's house. She falls at the feet of Jesus and just begins weeping. The Pharisees, these law keepers, are absolutely incensed. They, they say that if Jesus knew what kind of a woman this was, he wouldn't let her anywhere near them. But Jesus sees things very differently. He proceeds to tell a story to explain that those who have been forgiven much love much. And then he looks at the woman and he says to her, your sins are forgiven, which further inflames the situation because the Pharisees believe that only God can forgive sins. And so there's this fiery debate over who this guy really thinks he is. But Jesus doesn't even enter into the debate. He just turns to the woman and look at what he says. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your, what's the word? Faith, you'll get used to this after a while, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In Luke 8, the disciples and Jesus, they they get into a boat to go to the other side of the lake. They're in the middle of the lake when this huge storm breaks. Now, 
You need to understand that these are very experienced sailors. They've grown up by the sea. They've fished their whole lives. And here they are on this boat that's been kind of hurled around by the wind and the waves. What do they do? They panic. They think they're going to die. And I love this story because all the time Jesus is fast asleep in the middle of the boat. And all the time the disciples are kind of terrified, thinking that they're about to die. So they wake up Jesus and go, Jesus, we're perishing, we're perishing, help us! Jesus gets up, wipes the sleep out of the corner of his eyes, rebukes the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves obey him and just subside and the whole storm ends in an instant. And then before he settles back down and returns to sleep, Jesus says something to his disciples. Luke eight twenty five. He asks them, where is your faith? Yeah, yeah, you're getting it. There'll be plenty more. It's like, he's saying, who do you think I am? I mean, do you really think we're going to die out here on the water. I'm mean, seriously, you think I went to all of this trouble to come down to earth and this is how I'm going to go out? I mean, we're all going to drown in the middle of the ocean. Do you honestly think that's my plan? You of little faith. Later on in Luke 8, there's a massive crowd that are trying to get close to Jesus. And as he's trying to walk through this mob of people, a lady who has this bleeding disorder reaches out and touches him. And immediately, she's healed. Jesus stops in his tracks and goes, who touched me? The disciples are going, everyone I mean, you're in the middle of a crowd. A whole load of people are touching you right now. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. There is someone in particular because I felt the power go out. Luke 8, 47. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The, the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your has made you well. Go in peace. In the next chapter, Luke chapter 9, the disciples tried to cast out a demon and it's not working. It, it, it is just not going well. It's going bad. And Jesus is pretty frustrated with his disciples. I mean, have a listen to what he says to them in verse 41. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? He's saying, you just doing the external action correctly, just following the formula correctly, but not believing in your heart really isn't what I'm after. Just because you can do what appears to be right on the outside doesn't change the fact that you don't actually believe and have faith on the inside. And so Jesus has been going, your faith has made you well, your faith has saved you, your faith has worked in you, your faith has done this, your faith has accomplished this. Then there's been, hey, where is your faith? And now it's moved on to, you're faithless altogether. How long am I going to put up with this faithlessness? Let's keep going. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching about anxiety. 
And he's trying to get his disciples to see that you don't have to be anxious. Here's what he says, verse 27. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. Solomon, if you didn't know, was uh, probably the wealthiest king in the whole of the Old Testament. I mean, uh, all the riches he had at his disposal. Uh, And and Jesus is saying that these flowers uh, have more than Solomon had. And and if God, verse 28, cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So he's saying, listen, the reason that anxiety and worry and stress plagues you is because you don't believe that in the end I am going to take care of you. For those here today who struggle with anxiety and worry and stress, Jesus would say this is a faith issue. It's a you don't trust me. If you really trusted me to look after you, to take care of you, that would massively help you. You get in the message. Beginning to see how crucial faith is to Jesus. I mean, believe me, we can keep going here. Luke 17, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Only one comes back to thank him. Look, look at Jesus' response in verse 19. Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who continually comes before a city official and pleads and pleads and pleads and pleads for justice. And Jesus wraps up the whole parable like this. Verse 8, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man, when Jesus returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Later on in chapter 18, there's the account of Jesus healing a blind man who was just kind of sitting by the roadside begging. Verse 41, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. You can almost pick any chapter. Jesus is over and over and over again addressing and commending strong faith and rebuking a lack of faith. Okay, one more example. Luke 17. By this point, the disciples are finally starting to get that this is pretty important to Jesus. And so, having sat through yet another sermon about faith. Look at their response, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. It's like by this point, oh you of little faith has become their official nickname. I mean, Jesus is saying, oh you of little faith, go over there, and obediently they go. He says, oh you of little faith, come over here. Obediently they, they come. Uh, uh, and they've heard it so many times that, that they're going, okay, help us then, Jesus because we want to believe, and we want to trust you, and we want to be all in, so please help us. Show us how we can increase our faith. I wonder, how many of you can relate to this? 
How many of you wish you had more faith? Well, if that's your prayer today, I want to show you how. I want to return to where we started off in Luke 7 and see what it is we can learn from the Roman officer because I assure you there is something very, very crucial, something very important that we can learn from him. I mean, out of all of these passages we've looked at, this is the only one where someone manages to impress Jesus, amaze Jesus with their faith. And what happens? This Roman officer sends word to Jesus and says, heal my servant. Jesus replies, all right, I'll I'll come and heal him. But the Roman officer says, look, you don't have to do that. You don't need to come. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. And in saying that, he's making a profound statement about the authority of Jesus. He recognizes that the words of Jesus carry absolute power. Verse 9, and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. I haven't seen faith like this even among my own people. It's like this guy grasped something that all of God's people had missed. And which I think we are in danger of missing today as well. And here's why. This Roman officer's job depended on instant obedience to his commanding officer. Even if the command that was given wasn't what he was expecting, he'd been trained to do what he's told without hesitation. You see, on the battlefield, following the chain of command was a matter of life or death for a lot of people. But most of us today don't live in these kind of tight authority structures. Quite the opposite, in fact. We are suspicious of authority. We don't like being told what to do. We can give the impression of following orders whilst doing something completely different when our boss isn't watching. And now here's the danger. I think we very easily make the mistake of reckoning that God's Word carries this same kind of lesser authority. We can just pick and choose what we want to do with it. Look in public like we're obeying, in private live very, very different. Now look, God's authority over the world is exercised with such love and such phenomenal compassion that perhaps this image of a a sergeant major barking out commands isn't necessarily the best picture to use here. But please don't miss the point. If we see the authority of God's Word as any less absolute than that of a military officer, we're not just mistaken, we are lacking in faith. I think about it. When God wanted the universe to come into being on that first day, when when He wanted there to be light, 
What did he do? And God said, let there be light. Just said the word. What happened? There was light. All God has to do is just say the word. Let the dry ground appear, and it did. Let there be living creatures, and there were. God speaks, it happens. Do you get it? Everything in all of creation must submit to God's word, whether planets and oceans, rulers, governments, dictators, authorities, sickness and death, all things in all creation must submit to the word of God. That's why in Isaiah 55, God says, my word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire. It will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's like when God speaks, it happens. I mean, isn't that what we saw when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples in the middle of the storm? His friends are terrified. What does he do? He speaks. Peace! Be still! Just say the word. And it happens. There's the occasion when his friend Lazarus dies. Lazarus has been in the tomb for three days. Jesus wants to raise him up. What does he do? He speaks, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. Just say the word. And Jesus was regularly confronted with people who needed physical healing. What does Jesus do? He just says the word. He speaks and it happens. I mean, it's staggering. His words have authority over absolutely everything and everyone in the entire universe. And who gets it? Who's the first person to understand what's going on? Not the religious leaders, not someone who spent years in Bible college. Not the disciples, not not the guys who hang out with Jesus day after day, hearing him teach, watching his miracles. No, the first guy to get it is some pagan Roman soldier. He gets it. Jesus kind of likes that. It amazes him. Jesus says, finally, somebody understands. At last, someone gets it. I'm amazed with this guy's faith. Don't miss this. In coming to Jesus and expressing faith in him, this Roman officer isn't just acknowledging an abstract theological belief or position. Now he's saying, the obedience that the whole universe offers you as a matter of course every day I now offer you as the act of a surrendered heart. I submit myself completely, wholeheartedly to your rule and to your reign. I know how authority works and I willingly choose to place myself under yours. The Roman officer says, just say the word. Your word is enough for me. And Jesus responds by saying, 
this is amazing faith. So if you want to grow in faith, this is the key. You need to understand that faith isn't simply believing a whole lot of stuff. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe that when I die, I'm going to go and be with him forever. Now, Jesus never uses the term faith in that way. I mean, it's a good start, but it's not quite how it works. In the New Testament, it seems that to trust Jesus means to believe that he's right. Right about what? Right about pretty much everything. He's right about absolutely everything he says. And so if you think about it, the natural byproduct of this faith is to submit myself to his authority, to obey what he says, to live my whole life according to his word. Listen, a true follower of Jesus, someone who has genuine faith in him, is really someone whose chief priority in life is to actually do the things he says. Just say the word, I'll submit. I mean, again, this is a consistent theme in Jesus' teaching. Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, whoever does what Jesus teaches is in his family. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You see, obedience to what he says is crucial to following him. We can come here on a Sunday and say, Lord, Lord, sing songs about him. If we're not doing what he says, we're not following him. And if you have some doubts and you want your faith to get deeper, I think probably most of us do, Jesus has a word for you as well. In John 7, verse 17, he says, If anyone chooses to do God's will, to do what I say, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. You ever struggle with doubts? Do you wish you had more faith? I tell you, the key to growing faith is to actually go away and try doing what God says. Just put it to the test and then you'll discover he really is right and as a result your faith in him will grow and you'll be willing to submit other areas of your life to him. And so here's the challenge. Are you doing this? Is this a description of what your life is like at the moment? Have you made this your purpose? Lord, I choose as a conscious act of my will to place myself under your authority. I lay aside the tendencies and desires of my own will and instead I'll do what you say, submitting my will to your will. Lord, just say the word. Have you made that choice? Really? Deep down? Honestly? 
I'll tell you. You get a whole stack of opportunities to test this out every day. I mean, if we're being frank, if we're being honest, lots of the time our natural inclinations will run counter to Jesus' teachings. So if you're up for the challenge, why not ask yourself this question on a regular basis? What have I done today because it is the will of Christ? What have I done today because he just said the word? And I'm not talking about the times when we just happen to coincidentally do his will because it falls within our plans anyway. That, that may be a good thing, but that's not obedience. Obedience comes when, as a conscious act, we lay aside our own appetites and our own desires, our own inclinations, and instead do what he tells us, even if it's contrary to what we really want. It's subduing our will, it's mastering it, it's bringing it into submission with what Jesus says. Because I think what often ends up happening is we take just a, a, a few cautious steps of faith that move us forward ever so slowly and uh, at those moments everything's great and God's awesome and yeah we, we, we do worship him but then all of a sudden he addresses something that we don't want him to touch that we don't want him to have in our lives so I don't know, maybe all of a sudden he goes, okay, let's talk about your money. And we go, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I love you, but the money part's mine. Uh, I'm willing to trust you in every area of my life, except when it comes to my money. Maybe it's not money. Maybe you're single and it's a sex issue for you. So you start following Jesus and then all of a sudden he, he goes, okay, let, let's talk about the sex part. And just for the record, God is very much pro-sex and he actually invented it. In the Song of Solomon, a, a, a great book in the Old Testament, he says, eat and drink your fill, you lovers. So he doesn't sound very repressed either. But he definitely puts very clear boundaries, very clear parameters around it, which are for your joy. And so I've met a, a lot of people who are following the Lord, and then all of a sudden there's this area of sex that needs to be addressed, and they're going, okay, I, I'm not willing to surrender in that area. Well, that's too costly. That's asking way too much of me. Or maybe it's at work, where you've made this decision that perhaps wasn't completely ethical. <laughs> and you're just going, well, this is what guys in my field have to do. This is what it looks like in the real world. And God's going, no, this isn't how we are going to do it. And you know, no, no, this is what, I've got to do. I, I really haven't got an option in this. Or maybe it's some of the things we've been touching on in recent weeks. Loving our enemies, forgiving others, taking a day of rest every week. And you're going, no, you, you just don't understand my situation. I can't do it. Here's what I've observed in so many lives. 
when for whatever reason we stop taking those steps of faith, when we stop trusting God's Word and acting on it, things end up stagnating. And yet we keep coming along on a Sunday, but we're left wondering where God is in it all, wondering where His power is in our lives, wondering where His presence has gone. Because where there's faith, there's the power of God, there's the presence of God, there's growth, there's breakthrough, there's joy, there's life. But where there's a lack of faith, things don't happen. And over time, our experience of God slowly but surely shrivels up. And it's like a vicious circle. When we lack the faith to do what God says, we stop experiencing how good it is to follow Him and eventually we conclude, well, He just doesn't satisfy us. And so we start looking elsewhere for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for pleasure, and we start disregarding God's Word in other areas of our life. It's like fear gets in. And so we stop giving because what if I can't make ends meet? It's a lack of faith. We stop believing that God's enough for us, and that He will provide, He will take care of us. We compromise sexually because what if God doesn't come through for me? We stop believing that God's right and that we could ever be happy if we do what He says. Whatever it is, in the end, it boils down to a lack of faith in who God is, that He has absolute authority over everything, including us. And that he's not only always right, but he's also always good, always motivated by love for us. Or to put it another way, we think we are smarter than him. We know better than him. And I know you perhaps wouldn't come out and say it quite like that, but in reality, a lot of us do live our lives like that. You know, some of you are here today, and it it feels like right now you are in a pretty dark place. If you're being honest, you say spiritually, it just feels ever so slightly dry right now. I'd suggest one of the first places you need to look is, has God been asking me to walk in obedience and for some reason I've refused? I'm telling you, so many people are wanting some kind of new, fresh revelation from God and they just haven't been obedient to what they already know. And if that's where you find yourself today, it's going to slow down your faith. It's going to bog you down. It it might even stop it altogether. I mean, you you can't say to God, no, I'm not going to listen to you, and then come in every Sunday going, God, where are you? I mean, you you can't do that. It, It doesn't work that way. It takes these steps of faith. It takes these steps of obedience. 
So maybe you're with the disciples today. Maybe you're just going, okay, help my unbelief then. Please help my lack of faith because I want to believe you're right. I, I want to trust. I want to do what you say. But it is hard. And so here's how I thought we'd end. If Jesus is so serious about faith, and it seems that probably he is, if where faith is present, there's power and there's growth and there's depth of life and it's an adventure and there's this breakthrough and where it's lacking, there's pain and sorrow and loss and moving away from God. If he's so serious about this subject, then I think it would be really crazy for us to just rush on from here without pausing to reflect on where we are in all of this. So let me ask you, is there an area in which you have refused to walk in obedience? Is there an area where, where God has said, this is where I want you to do this, and, and you've just gone, I, I can't do that? Has he been saying, hey, this is a sin that needs to be confessed? Is he saying, hey, this is, this is a direction I really want you to be going in? Because in the end, and I really can't overstate this enough, in the end, the commands of God, the direction of God, are always about your joy, not about your begrudging submission. God's not glorified by you begrudgingly submitting to his authority. He's glorified in you trusting him enough to obey him even when it makes no earthly sense to you. And so in all of this, I promise you, he's not trying to take something from you. Ultimately, he's trying to lead you into enjoying him more.